Welcome to the More Than Hearers podcast, episode 50! We've made it 50 episodes, and you're here. You're here because you love it. You loved the 49 before, or this is the first one you've heard. I shouldn't make any assumptions. I was going to say, how do you know, man? (laughs) I don't. I don't know anything here. So, I'm Orion. I'm here with Peter. What's up, man? And we talk Bible for... 50 episodes, at least. <laughs> kind of 51. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah. Uh, Sorry, that was an inside joke. There There's not inside, a missing episode. There, yeah, we we missed it. Um, so, we, we talked Bible, and we want to bring this podcast to you. We want to bring theology and, like, deep... Like deep discussions, man, uh, about Christ and what it means to be a follower with the the, the tribulations that come. Uh, tribulation sounds so intense. Just like the I was going to say, are we teaching our revelation today? Like, no, why are you talking you. tribulation, man? But the struggles and the joys of of being in the body of Christ and sharing that with each other, bearing each other's burdens, even like through the power of technology and this podcast. So, uh, we we want that sense of community. And so in, in saying that, you can contact us. You can get a hold of us directly at podcast at morethanhearers.com if you want to email us. Facebook.com slash morethanhearers. We're on Instagram, morethanhearers. And I would encourage you, if you've been listening to this podcast and you're a fan or whatever you want to say, you just, you just enjoy it. And you think that other people might enjoy it, we'd ask you to share. Just Hit the share button or copy the link or... Tell a friend. Yeah, tell someone. Hey, I think you might enjoy this podcast. They talk Bible for 50 episodes at least. Yeah. That'd be a good selling point, I think. Yeah. You should you should say that. So, also you can leave us reviews if you want, and they could be favorable if you want. And then you can make a donation to help uh, fund the goings on the business side of what we do here just the hosting the files and stuff you can help with donations uh through paypal the email address to donate to is podcast at more than more than heroes.com and i think that's all i wanted to say did i leave i mean you left off the twitter handles but i think at this point um who cares right we haven't really impacted anybody on twitter I don't think we have any Twitter listeners. We'll add them back in when people are like, hey, I'm on Twitter. Where are you guys? Are you guys on Twitter? Yeah. That's going to happen now because now we didn't give the Twitter (laughs) handles. No. No. Oh, shoot. Maybe. You can't. How come you can't ever jinx something to be cool? I was like, lame. (laughs) That's that's the kind of theology we should be talking about. Jinxing things into coolness? I guess. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. It's a thing. So, uh, hi, everybody. We're um, episode fifty. Like I don't even know. Like I don't even know. Like I never would have. We were it talking seemed, about this. It seems so far away. We were talking about this earlier. Like if you go back and listen, if you haven't listened to previous episodes, this is your first one, or you're like just in for a few. Episode ten, we were like, "What? We've done ten? We made ten. Ten's like for amateurs do ten episodes, right? Like, that's not true. Well, you I, have to do ten to even make the." Uh, blogging to you know tips and tricks you have to like record 10 episodes is like the first step like, you're what? supposed to like you're supposed to have like 10 in the can before you even publish the first one yeah I guess. we had two or three okay yeah yeah and then we fell behind and oh, well, what, like whatever uh, welcome back we're back well, welcome We've back, back us for a week or two i don't know something <laughs> we're uh we're in acts chapter two i uh want to preface it this way with um for some people uh, Acts 2 is uh, controversial. I don't know what the right word I'm looking for is. We Again, we were talking about this earlier. Ryan and I talk, uh, apart from not on, just on the podcast, um, about this. There are some people who, like, this is their go-to chapter. Like, the Acts 2 is what they want to talk about all the time. And that's cool. Uh, and then there are people who would rather just shy away from it. They're like, oh, yeah, I know what's in there, but I don't really want to talk about it. And some of that comes from really bad teaching on Acts chapter 2. And even in some cases, people know they've received bad teaching on it, 
but they've never received proper teaching on it either. So they just stay away from it because all they know about it is wrong. That's really too bad. But it ha- I mean, it's Acts so 2 good. isn't the only chapter that's happened with. That happens all over the Bible. Oh, I'm sure. And, and so, and that was one of the other things in your introduction. I almost jumped in, Orion, because you talked about how, you know, we wrestle through deep stuff in the Bible and theology and we're, we're breaking this stuff down and talking it through. And, and even more than that, or even more succinct than that, um, I think our goal, or at least my goal has been, but I, I think I can say our goal has been to talk about what's actually in there. What does the Bible actually say? I kind of grew up, if you go back to episode 16 and you listen to Orion and I kind of share our stories, I grew up in and around church and got exposed to the Bible a lot as a kid and even as a teenager and taught this is what the Bible says and this is what these verses mean and that kind of thing. And as I got older, struggled with my faith a little bit and in coming back to faith, really jumped into the Bible with both feet. And the further I got into it and the deeper I got into it, uh, the more I realized that what I always thought a passage said was not what it was actually saying. I've had that plenty of times. There was a lot I knew about the Bible that just wasn't true. And um, I don't say that coming from a place of what I know is right and what everybody else knows is wrong. I'm just telling you I'm a student of Scripture. Uh, I'm three quarters of the way through a bachelor's in biblical studies. Quit bragging. I'm not bragging. I'm just, that's where I'm at. Like, I don't need to give you credentials. Uh, and I would challenge you that if we come on this podcast and we go, this verse means this, go double check us. Like, we're just a couple of guys. I mean, yeah. 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 Double and, check us. Yeah. Or challenge us even. Ooh, I like that. I like inviting Podcast you. Podcastingmorethanhears.com. You bring, bring it on. Challenge you. us. I love that stuff. Um, and I'm not afraid to be wrong. Orion's shaking in his boots. But I'm not afraid to be wrong. <laughs> All right, here we go. So we're going to get into Acts chapter 2. Oh, you know what's cool? What? Uh, in this first sentence, there is a reference to 50. There it is. And it's we are episode, the, 50. episode 50. Yeah. Woo, I, I think, I'm not like a numerologist or anything, but I just think that's cool. I, I see things. I, I see numbers. I can honestly say... Without any sort of deception or lying or whatsoever, this was not planned. Do you like how I bragged that I can see numbers? Like, like I can tell when a number 50 is also a number 50. I can see colors. Wow. <laughs> Together. I can't see sounds. I could on like, never mind. We'll stop. Okay. Acts chapter 2. Last episode, we did Acts chapter 1. We started off this book of Acts or the actions of the apostles and acts one kicks off with the ascension and jesus saying to the disciples uh you've had three and a half years with me to learn everything you could possibly learn about ministry you've seen a dead girl raised you've seen lepers healed blind guys all of it you've seen it all you're not ready what you need is the holy spirit go stay in jerusalem till you receive the holy spirit oh yeah and by the way i'm out and then we have this weird interlude at the end of chapter one of acts where after the ascension of Jesus, but before the coming of the Holy Spirit, these 11 guys get together and go, hey, there used to be 12 of us, but that one guy bounced. Let's find another guy. And they get another guy, and we don't hear from him again unless you Google him. So, um, Or Fox's book of Christian Martyrs, I believe, contains his story, but I don't remember because it's been a long time since I read it. Great book, by the way. Not light summer poolside reading. Mm-hmm. Great book, though. Okay, so we pick up Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Pause, don't read ahead. There's so much you've got to understand here that helps you understand what's going to happen here. Orion already said Pentecost, Pente, 50. 50. It's, uh, so rewind. Let's talk about Passover for a minute. Passover in the Jewish calendar is like the biggest thing ever. It's all of the holidays. It's all of the high holy days. It's everything you hold dear. Super Bowl, Indy 500, Daytona 500, World Series, Stanley Cup, Cup, World Cup, Christmas, Easter, Halloween, your birthday, your mom's birthday, your grandma. It's all of it. Like it's the biggest deal in the Jewish calendar in the first century and even for a lot of modern Jews today. It is the center of your Uh, religious uh, high holy day. It's the center of your social life as a Jew. It's the center of your family coming together to share meal together. It's, It's everything. And people would come to Jerusalem from at that time all over the known world, or at least all over the Roman world, 
to sacrifice at the temple and, and all the other things that they did for Passover. They just came together. It was sort of a pilgrimage, much like Muslims do to go to Mecca, which you're like, wait a minute, you're comparing Judaism to Islam. Get over it. I'm not trying to compare them and say they're the same. I'm just saying this process is similar. It's, it's a big deal, and people have come, and then they leave. Seven weeks later, 49 days plus one Pentecost, 50 days. Seven weeks later, a lot of Jews, not as many as Passover, but a lot of Jews come back to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles, sometimes called the Feast of Weeks, or even from in Christian circles, it's more referred to as Pentecost. Um, it, I have a curiosity, because I find it interesting that they would come out for Passover, but then why the, just as many wouldn't come out for Pentecost, because all of the feasts were commanded for people to keep i guess you could keep them wherever you are some it comes down to simple economics some people just flat couldn't afford to do it couldn't if, afford if, to keep the command i'm not i'm not justifying it. okay i'm just saying that for some people that say you lived in rome right but you're a janitor i don't know i don't know what poor i don't I, well janitors actually make fairly decent money probably not then that was probably pretty gross yeah, so whatever. You're a, something in Rome, and Not it's Rome. like you got to save all year to make Passover. You cannot then get another week's vacation five weeks later. Seven and, weeks later, sorry. And I'm still curious. Yeah. And uh, Passover was uh, more significant because— Passover it, was the— Because it was, it, it was the exodus, basically, the trigger right. that gave uh, the, the Jews their freedom from Egypt at the time. But and, here they are now under Roman rule. It, well, but not just freedom from Egypt. This was the Passover referred specifically to the angel of death passing over the houses that were adorned with the blood of the lamb mm-hmm. on the doorpost. Um, it was a day where, you know, um, where they were identified as God's people and spared by God accordingly. Okay. So much of their identity, their, even their nationalistic identities wrapped up in this day. Um, but of the Jewish high holy holidays, it's the pinnacle. It's the top one. Um, you know, we've got in Christianity, we've got Christmas and Easter. It depends on who you talk to as to which one's more significant. Easter. You can't have Easter without Christmas, though. But Christmas doesn't really matter without Easter. Okay. Yeah. So that's, okay, there you go. Right? Yes. Okay, good. All right. So anyway, um, so... At Pentecost or at Tabernacles, a lot of people, a lot of Jews from around the known world have come to Jerusalem again. That matters. That first verse, the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, matters so that you understand how crowded Jerusalem is and kind of what's gone on. And remember that this particular... um, This particular Pentecost is significant because at Passover this year... This teacher, this rabbi, this guy who had come up was put to death. Like, it was like everybody's in town for Passover and we're going to crucify this rabbi who's been healing people and raising dead people and all of that. Like, and then as the Passover weekend, like, kind of came to a close, you're getting ready to go home, there's rumors that his body's missing and that people are saying he rose again. Like, it was a big deal. And so some of that energy is still pent up in what's going on in Jerusalem. So pretty wild that the timing of the Passover and being the sprinkling of the blood oh, just like lands right there with Jesus' crucifixion and yeah, death. Yeah, and, and, and on the door frame, across the top of the doorpost and down, or across the top of the door and down the side, like almost cross. Yeah, I don't know about that one. uh, It's horizontal and vertical. Let me have it. Yeah, fine. Okay, fine. Yeah. And death will pass over you. Yeah. If you have the blood. Right. Here you go. But here's the lamb of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the lamb of God come to take away the sins of the world. Is this a song? Are you referencing a song? No. Okay. Uh, Is it a Bible verse? It's a verse. Okay. Yeah, okay. Here we go. So, verse two. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Uh, just for clarification, we're not going to dwell on it, but because I've heard it taught so many times, the Holy Spirit came blowing like wind, or wind blew through the house. That's not what it says. A sound like 
right? Yes. The blowing of a violent wind from heaven. Sure. It doesn't say there was actually a wind. No, it might have been. I'm splitting hairs, yeah, but may, I just may, want to make sure may. we talk. You know, we talked about it at the beginning, and like you're being accurate. Yeah, like let's talk about what's actually in here. Right. Okay. Here we go. No, and and hey, always take the extra time to say what's really here. Okay. So should we cover it in the Greek? I'm just kidding. Come on. Sorry. Let's go. Uh, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Doesn't say they were tongues. No. They seemed to be. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> am, I, am I getting the hang of this? Alec. <laughs> All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. If you're in a, an NIV Bible right now, like you're, you're not driving, right? Because if you're driving, stop looking at your Bible. Like, it's the only time anybody's going to tell you to not look at your Bible. But if you're driving, please stop looking at your Bible. But if you're sitting down somewhere and you're following along in a Bible, you'll see that uh, at the word tongues, there should be a footnote. At least in the 2011 and newer NIV. I don't know about the older. I can't pull it up on my phone. So all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. Footnote or languages. The Greek word here is for Languages. Languages comes from the lingua, the word like lingua the, for tongue. The I mean, Latin. So it, yeah. It's the word for tongue. Is languages is the, yeah. literally comes from the word for tongue. And the reason that matters is because, and we're going to see it as we go forward in this story, this account, is they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them or other languages. What they spoke in here was other known Language. Real languages. Yes. How do you know that, Peter? Well, let's look at verse uh, 5. Now that we're staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Wait, it wasn't nonsense? It wasn't nonsense. It wasn't some sort of babbling prayer language that only the Holy Spirit was able to discern. There are other passages we can talk about that maybe lead that direction, but we're talking about Acts chapter 2. And Acts chapter 2, when the apostles in the upper room were filled with the Holy Spirit, it came sounding like a mighty rushing wind, filled the whole room, kind of looked like fire that separated and rested on each of them, and they began to speak in other known languages. Two things. One, they were known to other people who were present. And two, they were not known to the person who spoke them. Mm. Right, right. That's important. Those things are important. Let's get through a couple more verses and we're going to talk about why. When they heard the sound, they came, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language. Utterly amazed, this is verse 7, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Galileans, depends on how you want to call it. Verse 8, then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues or... Languages. Languages. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Now, uh, I don't get to the next verse yet. In Christian circles, if you've had a fair amount of church exposure, and I say that carefully because there are people who've gone to church for 40, 50 years and have never run into these discussions, and the Lord bless you for it because they're, um, all the discussions are a mess. There, is, um, there are those who ascribe to uh, the Pentecostal movement, which holds on to these passages really tight, particularly in the area of tongues. There are those who are what are called cessationists, who say that gifts like tongues and prophecy and healing were for a time, but are no longer active now. These are the two, uh, I want to say extremes, but that's not even right. They're the the far right and left of this. There are those who fall somewhere in the middle. Uh, That's not even right either. Somewhere in between the two. Not necessarily right in the middle. Sure. The gift of tongues in the context of of Acts chapter 2. 
was other known languages that people who were present understood and heard. And they even went so far as to say in verse 12, uh, no, sorry, in verse 11, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues or our own languages. In the first century church in particular, the gospel was spread by Jews. Yes, agree. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Bartholomew, Timothy, uh, Paul, mm-hmm. Thomas. These guys were all Jews. You go, well, Paul was a Roman citizen. Yeah, but he spoke probably Aramaic and Greek. And that's it. That does you no good when preaching to Arabs. They speak Farsi. I don't know if they did back then, but they do now. Um, Arabic language is Farsi. Or uh, people from Libya or Ethiopia or... Yeah, I don't... Crete, I assume, was probably a Greek-speaking island, but I don't know. But it, it lists all these different places and people from every nation. How many languages were there then? I mean, there's a bunch now. It was necessary for the spread of the gospel that those who were spreading the gospel were able to communicate with those they were interacting with. Uh, one of... I did do a class uh, years ago on world religions. And I ran into... We had to study a Christian group living in a non majority non-Christian environment. Does that make sense? Yes. One of the groups I studied was a group called the St. Thomas Christians. Have we talked about this before, O'Reilly? I don't recall. Oh, man, this is cool stuff. The St. Thomas Christians originate in India. History, biblical, non-biblical, extra-biblical history, Christian history records that Thomas, the let me see the holes in your hand guy. Doubting. Doubting Thomas. Poor guy. The one that John's really mean <laughs> to him his in his name. gospel, man. It's rough. Like John's like some disciple, but anytime Thomas says something dumb, he like calls him out. It's funny. Anyway, read John. You'll see it. Um, Christian history records that Thomas traveled to India and brought the gospel to India. Um, and so fast forward to like, I want to say it's 1400. The Catholic church in Portugal sent missionaries out. And some of them went to India. These Portuguese Catholic missionaries went to India and were shocked to find a thriving Christian church who had received and believed the gospel. Yeah, it's amazing. Many of the people in the church at that time, and even some people associated with St. Thomas Christianity now in India, trace their ancestry to those who received the gospel from Thomas. It, it actually feels arrogant to like call that amazing. It's like, what, like, like that's not How allowed. cool? They, they had to hear it. No, it's super cool. Yeah, It's so cool. Yes. And so... How did the gospel from Thomas, who was already kind of like, like he barely believed Jesus in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. And, and was a Jew who grew up in Israel, ends up in India and able to preach the gospel. Right. In such a way that 1,500 years later, it's there was still, a thriving church. Yeah, it's still going. Like, and now, 2,000 years later, there's still a thriving group of, in a, in a nation that's majority Hindu, like, majority Hindu. I, I, back, to, back to the point you made, and I'm like pick, um, picking a... Please. What do you call it? Picking at nits. Yeah. Is that the phrase? That's it. Uh, the, when you said a Christian uh, group that lives among a, you know, a non... A majority non-Christian. Majority, yeah. I think that's everyone. Yes. But... I, it may be un-American to say that, but okay. I, I, I'm one of these people that, that thinks just because people check the Christian box on the survey or the census. It, you know, it's so more we do live in a majority non-Christian environment. We don't live in an environment that's necessarily openly hostile to Christians. Uh, okay. It's not as, it's not as friendly as it used to be. Okay. <laughs> I, yeah. They're not chopping our heads off. Sure. I'll so, give you that. Okay. So there you go. Okay. And so that's what I mean by that. And so that's, That's this context of, in order for the spread of the early church, the ability to speak in other known languages that maybe the speaker didn't originally know themselves, one, had to be Holy Spirit driven. Sure. Now, how else does it happen? Right. And two, it was necessary for the spread of the gospel. Yes. It was not a cool party trick for church services. Right. And it is arguably not necessary a week later or a hundred years later or a thousand years later. Or in a lot of areas, it's not really super necessary in 2020. Sure. Um, Am I a cessationist? No. If God needs to use that in order to move the gospel forward in 2020, he is 
absolutely going to use it. But God does not give gifts just to show off. Just to show how spiritual you are. And, excuse me, nowhere in the Bible does it say clearly, or unclearly even, that the only evidence of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the speaking in other tongues. Correct. This is a doctrine of some Christian denominations. It is not biblical. It's By that I mean it's not in the Bible. It's, it's also garbage. So yeah, I mean, I can go there. I'm trying not to hurt feelings, but I want to make Sorry. sure I'm clear without being offensive. But if you're offended, it's on you. Like, it's not in the Bible. It is not biblical to say that the only way the evidence of the Holy Spirit is in you is that if you speak in some language that you didn't know already. Give me a break. And, and I, I feel like I need to qualify my, my statement because like, you're right. That could be an offensive comment. Right. right. And just because something is not in the Bible does not mean it is garbage. But when you, as a Christian, purport something that literally puts everybody else who doesn't think exactly the way you think into a... Less than category. Yeah, like like you're no longer... Those people are no longer Christian enough or whatever. Like, I can disagree with you on your theology and recognize you're everybody as saved as me. But, like, how arrogant would it be for me to say, oh, I, I've got these doctrines, I believe these, and uh, they may seem like minor points, but they're really important, and you're not even saved if you don't have them. Like, that's so garbage. We have no biblical evidence of Jesus speaking in other tongues. Did he not have the Holy Spirit? I believe he did. <laughs> but he didn't speak in other tongues. You make a good point. Uh, some people aren't going to like it. I... Sorry if the Bible hurts your feelings. I mean, I'm not, but right. this is why we do this podcast. Challenge us. This right here Come at is me. why we do this podcast is because I grew up in Pentecostal circles. I grew up with a lot of this teaching of you're less than if you don't. And I've not been raised in that environment, but I've been a subject to other doctrines. Yes, you're right. Have. So yeah. I think you and I both come from this place of it's not necessarily hurt, but we're especially driven to correct false teaching. Like more so than most people. Most people are like, oh yeah, there's some false teachings out there. And we're like, we want to crush these false te- teachings. And, and crush them in me. And right, that same thing. Yeah, like because I grew up with this. Like I grew up in the midst of it. Like I was pursuing ministry in these circles until I got into the Bible and figured out <gasps> it's, not, it's not there. It's not there. Is there an unlearning process there? Yeah, or, or do I think you, do you so. Find it yeah, to be like because you could. I mean, some things. I think I might, might have told you about the day I discovered that you don't double space after a period. Yeah, because as a kid, I was raised you double space after a period, <sighs> and so I read the whatever the Oxford style, you know, the writing guide, and it's like then there's another one, the American something or other, and I read them both, and they both said single space after a period, and that day. I started single spacing, and by the next day, I think my habit was broken. But some things die a little harder. <laughs> they do, and and particularly when we talk about doctrine, it's tough to one. It's tough to admit you were wrong. Yes, that's Two, where most people probably f- fail, and uh, or they hit there, and so then they go to they make the next leap, which is a leap too far. Is Everything I've been taught, everything I believe is wrong. And they throw the baby out with yes. bathwater. No, and that's tragedy. Right. And so that's what's so scary about false teaching inside a Christian community is when someone realizes the falsehood, they assume that it's all falsehood and throw it all away. Right. When unfortunately, uh, the gospel is still true, even if some of these ancillary theologies you've been taught are not. Okay. And then that makes it even more important that within the, the body of Christian believers, we as believers, combat that that stuff. Because if it's somebody outside the church that comes in and then corrects our theology, even rightfully so, that hurts. And then that's where you, that's where it's destructive. But we have the opportunity to maybe rebuild. You know, like we tear down, because that thing, that garbage has to get thrown out. But then we rebuild. Yep. And that's part of the discipleship. So there is a movement that I've become aware of in the last year or two called deconstruction. There's a whole movement yes. of deconstructing faith. Have we talked about this on the podcast before? I don't think, but... I know we've talked about it in other circles. Yes. Um, and it, it's... Um, I don't know why I keep running into it. Except that I never deconstructed my faith, 
but I did have to deconstruct some theology. Yes, sir. The the scary thing about deconstruction is what are you left with if you do not rebuild on top of it? Rubble. Yeah. And waste. Yeah. Yeah, and fortunately, you're just broken. Yeah, um, and so it's important if you're going to deconstruct theology to build on to rebuild on top of that. And our goal with this podcast has never been to point out wrong teaching. Hmm? Our oh. no, our goal has been what does <laughs> what does the Bible actually say? And part of the reason we go verse by verse is because it prevents us from skipping something that challenges our own theology. And what you're going to find the longer you listen, and if you've been here for 50 episodes, you know this is true, you're going to find that as you work your way through the Bible, you are going to bump into everything. Amen. I mean, our first episode, we bumped into like, that should have been like the ease in, and we hit some serious stuff right off the bat, because it was in there. Um, I've been saying um, in other circles, and I think I've said it here before too, that I can't make the Bible say something that it doesn't say. I can't make the Bible say that what happened in Acts 2 was people speaking crazy language nobody had ever heard before. Because it doesn't say that. But I can't pretend that it doesn't say something that it does. And so what it does say is that these people spoke in other languages and that people there from all around the world heard the wonders of God each in his own language. That other thing I want to just touch on really quick in verse 11 about we hear them declaring the wonders of God to declare the wonders of God particularly in the context of Acts but really in the context of the whole New Testament is what word Orion uh, I would say gospel but Pro- the- prophesy oh okay so you'll we'll hear in Acts as we move forward in Acts you'll hear about so and so prophesied it does not necessarily mean told of the future things not yes. known it is to declare the wonders of God known or not known So there you go. So what's actually said here is we hear them prophesying in our own language. So I just want to, because it's going to come up again, better to touch it now. Okay, good call. Verse 13. Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up and gosh, if you, if you were doing like a Bible movie from like a third person perspective though, right? But through the Bible narrative. And you see this super pivotal moment where the Holy Spirit's done something amazing. And someone's like, ah, they've had too much wine. And you see Peter stand up and you've had Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And you see Peter's going to be the one to stand up. You're like, oh, no, 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 not him. Don't let him talk. Like, go get Thomas. Like, oh, man. <laughs> go get somebody else. Don't let Peter talk. But here's what happens. Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you and listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Now, I've grown up in some circles where that doesn't matter. But no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And boom, off the top of his head, he quotes like uh, four or five verses from Joel. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women. women. All the way back to the Old Testament. He's quoting Joel. Okay, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, and before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's Joel 2, 28 through 32, if you're looking. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourself know. Remember, we talked about it in the intro, right? This is, we did talk about it in this intro, I think. <laughs> yeah. This is like a bunch of Jews in town, fresh off seven weeks, not even two months after like Jesus crucified, like the biggest guy in a long time. Everybody knew who he was. 
crucified publicly during Passover weekend. Like, this is big. And so he goes, Jesus of Nazareth. And people are like, oh, it's the guy. He was a man accredited to you by God by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. Oh, I just saw something I've never seen before. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Oh, okay. I got to talk about a couple of things, but I want to, like, I want to read it. I, I wanted to read it. Mm. <laughs> I'm a Bible major, not an English major. I wanted to read Peter's speech in its entirety, but there's too much good stuff here that we've got to stop and chew on it for a minute before we move forward. We good? I'm fine. You're looking at me like, get on with it, man. Do it. Okay, cool. Say okay. the thing. <laughs> um, if you were with us for Romans, we talked in Romans a lot about the concept of foreknowledge. Yes. About predestination. predestination. Yeah. We talked about this whole thing. I never saw it here. Because a lot of people see for and we talked about it clearly in Romans that foreknowledge just means to know beforehand. Yeah, I, I came out of that study understanding things that I I had a good idea of how what I thought, and then like that just we we came across things that made it even clearer to me. Right. And so and we handled that I think really well of foreknowledge for some people means God put it into action a long time ago. And right. we I think clearly delineated that that means to know beforehand. And I just realized that this verse supports that teaching. So this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. God's foreknowledge cannot be God's plan. Because why delineate them from each other right here? Right, so they're two different things. God's plan and foreknowledge. Okay. Well, it's possible in the the structure, at least in English, that uh, like... I could say, uh, this is my friend and wife, Elaine. Yeah. I'm just saying. Okay. And she's, she's both. I'm going to let it go. I wasn't trying to make that two people. No, it's okay. Okay. Uh, (laughs) um, and, uh, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and you with the help of wicked men. And there's a note in the NIV here that basically says that wicked men doesn't necessarily men who were deliberately wicked. It's just those not having the law or Gentiles Mm. speaking of Rome, basically you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And I've said this before about this. So Pentecost happens. Holy Spirit comes. People are like, oh, they're drunk. And Peter's like, we're not drunk. Let me tell you a story. And it's kind of the first sermon of the church. It's the first church sermon ever. It's not that good. Like, I don't mean the Bible's not good. I just mean he's not like, it's not seeker friendly. Mm Mm-hmm. He's like, Jesus, you remember him? You killed him. Mm -hmm. You got together with some people who had nothing to do with the law and you put him to death. That Jesus. Like, yeah, that's, he's not being gentle. That is not seeker friendly. This is not how I would preach a sermon. Uh, Maybe. Uh, Probably not. Okay, here we go. Uh, I get back to my spot because I get excited about this. Verse 25, David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with the joy of your presence. It's Psalm 16, 8 through 11. But if you went to Psalm 16, 8 through 11, you'd be like, nah, it doesn't, doesn't read quite like that. It's pulled from what's called the Septuagint or the Greek translation of the Hebrew Uh, New Testament. So it reads a little different. He says, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here, meaning in Jerusalem to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. 
Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. Peter's going, David couldn't have been talking about himself because he died and his body its decaying right outside of town. Like, probably already decayed by this point. Yeah, I think so. Okay, yeah. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, Mm -hmm. sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. It's Psalm 110 verse 1. I was just teaching on this last week in another Bible study. He says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, I love this, both Lord and Messiah. Now, I, ah, nah, not gonna, ah, wow, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you ever seen somebody have an aneurysm in person before? Uh, this is the first. This quote from Psalm 110. I got to think that Paul references it somewhere else too, because I thought the commentary on it came right after, but I was wrong. This David wrote this and he said, the Lord said to my Lord, if you look at it in Acts 110 or in Psalm 110, I'm sorry. And I'm going to go there really quick because the, the, there's two words here for Lord in the Hebrew Hmm. that doesn't come through in the English or the Greek. Verse 1 of Psalm 110 says, The Lord says to my Lord, that first Lord is Yahweh, the name of God. In your Bible, if you're in an NIV in particular, capital L, big capital L, little capital O, little capital R, little capital D, is literally, anytime you see that in the Old Testament, in, in your Bible, that what's behind there in the Hebrew is the name of God. So what David writes is, Yahweh says to my Lord, little L, little R, little Little L, little O, little R, little D, all lowercase. So Yahweh says to the one that rules over me, David says. Except at that time that David wrote this. He was the ruler. He was king. Yeah. Who's over David? David clearly prophesied in Psalm 110 that there was going to be one who was above him. And that the Lord was God, Yahweh, was able to speak to. And what Yahweh would speak, and it's the rest of Psalm 110.1, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. It is so cool that I wanted to lay it out and, and give you the visual of what's there on paper because it matters. Otherwise, it just sounds repetitive and you're like, what are you talking about, David? Like, the Lord said to my Lord, like, we get it. Except that it's Yahweh says to the one who rules over me, like David it. says. Okay. So, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Ah, good sermon after all. Right! Like, <laughs> he like, saved it. It's a C minus. I'll give him a B minus. Fine. He quoted proper scripture in context, he did a great job. Um, but I, the reason I love this and the reason I get excited about it is, uh, what I call spooky music. I thought you were going to smile at me for sure. I, am, I know where you're going. What we do in modern church today is we preach seeker friendly sermons. Like Jesus loves you. Wants you to feel good about yourself. We're going to dim the lights. Keyboardist is going to play just right. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want you to slip up your hand. So only I can see. And we're going to pray a little prayer, and you're going to have Jesus in your heart and go home. You sick over there? A little. Uh, I, uh, okay, let me say this first. Many of you came to faith that way. I'm not here to diminish your experience. I came to faith very similarly. What you should know is that biblically, it comes out so much different. Jesus says, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. So where is the place for every head bowed, every eye closed? Right. One. Two, nowhere in the Bible does it say you've got to ask Jesus into your heart. 
Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord of your life and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Is it? Do you have a three? Three, he promises the Holy Spirit to come in. And Jesus says in, in I think it's John 14, it might be 15 or 16, they blend together because it's all one, one speech from Jesus. Um, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will come and remind you of everything I have commanded you. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives and teaches us what Jesus taught so that we can grow and develop and become more like him. Doesn't the the modern gospel presentation or uh, altar call, like you described, seem like it was focus group tested? Kind of. Um, you know, it, I don't know when it came to be. Yeah, I don't know the, the origin. Um, but I think it's relatively modern. And it's ubiquitous, though. Like it said, you know, I mean, you, the, you can share that. You and I didn't grow up together. No. But you can share that story. And it's like, hey, did you go to the same, you know? <laughs> I've been to a lot of these things. Right. And that's what, how they are. Yeah. And so what happens here is Peter preaches, a, I call it a, a C-minus sermon. Like, he's not nice to anybody. He's like, Jesus, he did all the miracles. You know who he is. You read about him in all the papers, right? You killed him. Well, and you had other people that we shouldn't even associate with. Right, unclean. Unclean, not Jews. Don't have the law. You got to get, you partnered with them to put him to death. You. He like, he's calling people out of the crowd. You did it, and you did it, and you did it, and you did it. And God knew it was going to happen, and he actually planned it because he resurrected him. And through that power, it's how we're doing what we're doing today drops the mic. Mm-hmm. No spooky music, no lights dimmed, no slip up your hand. He's dropped the mic and walking off stage. He's like, I'm out. And many people... Call me drunk. And many people go, wait, wait. Yeah. What do we do? Yeah. How wrong are we doing church? Sure. Sorry. Not sorry. Peter replied. It's verse uh, 38. He just turns around. He's like, look, repent and be baptized. Every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all who will, whom the Lord our God will call. You just had this con- condemning uh, speech, this con- condemning language, right? Yeah. And then it's like the same people that were just condemned yeah. are now invited into, uh, what is it? This promise of forgiveness and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. Like, yeah. that's pretty powerful stuff. It's, it's so cool. And it's, it's for all of you. And for people who are far off. Which is funny because it's many chapters before Peter figures out the truth of that statement. Sure. But I don't, spoiler alert, so I won't tell you. 40. With many other words, he warned them. And, I love this, he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That morning, church was like 120. (laughs) It's now 3,120. It's so cool. A few verses and we're done. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Treat these, verse 42 through 47, as like an aside. It's like when the narrator pops in, right? This is not in time with what's happened. This is a back away, talk about a larger period of time, and then when we get to the next episode, it'll narrow back in again. But for now, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. One thing I want to talk about this is there has been a movement in recent years, I'd say the last 20, yeah, at least in this millennium, maybe a little bit before that, of people who have gravitated to these six verses, five verses, six verses, and said, this is what church in 2020 should look like. We are doing church 
all wrong. This is church. It's in the Bible for a reason. We should be doing this. Let's go back to meeting in homes and breaking bread and let's sell all our stuff and live together in communes and that's how we should do church. And yeah, but no. Like, in the context of the culture of the time, this was the best way to move the gospel forward. They would come together, support each other, build each other up so that the gospel should go out. The same is true today, but does that mean we all have to sell our houses and our cars and everything and come live in the church building? Eh, probably less gospel is going to move now that way than it did then. What's important here is the devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's the Bible, particularly the New Testament. Pretty much the New Testament. But the Bible. Devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread. That's fellowship as well as what we call communion or the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Like, those three things. If you're in a church body that's not doing these three things, uh, find one that is. That's a church. Anywhere else is some motivational speaking with Bible. Am I wrong? Uh, I I just wanted to check. I I got a little... I think that's right. No, I I, I think my, my take on this would be that there's churches that devote themselves to all sorts of other things. And yeah. then this stuff, you know, becomes uh, whatever, like side side uh, shows, side but quests, side quests. Yes, <laughs> there is some stuff in here where um, people struggle with this stuff about selling property and giving to anyone who need who has a need and having everything in common, and they use that to justify this new social justice Christianity. And you're not wrong, but. Uh, What I mean by that is, if you're not devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship of the saints, and to prayer, social justice Christianity is worthless to you. Those three things must be present before any sort of social justice comes into play. And I've ranted on this before, so I won't spend a whole lot of time on it again, but some people think their faith is entirely practiced through this social justice-based faith. And they leave out the teaching of the apostles, the fellowship of the saints, and prayer.